All right, well, good morning, church. This morning we're going to be finishing up chapter 30 in Genesis. And this is one of those stories in Genesis where if you research it, uh, there's thousands of blogs and uh, thousands of editorials and peer-reviewed science papers uh, written about this event People using uh, mathematic formulas that will confuse your brain and, you know, trying to explain what happened or how it happened. Uh, and there are just some things that cannot be rationally explained away. And no matter how much we like to stay grounded in reality, the truth is uh, God does miracles. And uh, we, like to, we like to draw boxes and then we like to confine God to those boxes and just assume he's only going to operate within what we understand. And that is not how God works. God works supernaturally. So science and math and logic and all these things that, uh, that we use to, to help our understanding of certain events, they're great, but they can't always fully explain how God operates. I mean, Genesis specifically, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and, and you know, especially when we looked at creation and, and all of that, what science does when we look at the science behind all of that, what it does is really just supports the miraculous, supports the fact that God does miracles. There's a quote, and it goes something like this. I heard it this week. It says, science does not rise up to rebel against God. It rose up to applaud him. And I think that's a, a great quote. So today we're going to be talking about miracles, because God does miracles. And, uh, but we're not going to be just talking about miracles. There's more here than just miracles. So let's read Genesis chapter 30. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 25 through the end of the chapter. We will step into Genesis 31 as well, just to answer some questions about what's going on here. But Genesis chapter 30, starting at verse 25, going through the end of the chapter. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. And Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? And he said, Well, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and then spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. And Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped, spotted, and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, 
and he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. And then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the trough, that is, the watering places where they came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the blacks in the flock of Laban. He put, he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly, and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the truth of your word is that fact that you are miraculous and that you do miracles. And we thank you for the fact that you are with us and that you care for us and that you look out for us and that you provide for us. Even when the world around us might be looking to take advantage of us or take from us or use us for their gain, you, Lord, are taking care of us. And we should keep our trust and faith in that. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We can break this down really simply. Jacob wants to go home. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out in the next chapter when Jacob is explaining everything that happened to his wives, you're going to find out that the Lord actually told Jacob it was time to go home. He's been gone roughly 14 years at this point, give or take. Some of them might say 20. Yet he still calls the land of Canaan my own home, and my own country. So he understands that where he is right now, even though he is with family and is in the, you know, the land of his ancestors, so to speak, that this is not his home. Right? He's a stranger in a strange land this whole time, even though he's been staying with family. And that's the same for us. I mean, that's something we need to remember. Right? We're aliens and strangers in this world as well. And if you've ever felt like you were out of place, like you didn't belong, and you always have that nagging thing, like, I just don't feel like I belong here. You know what? You don't. <laughs> you don't belong here. If you were following Christ, this is not your home. This is not your world. No matter where you are, you could be with family. You could be surrounded by great family. It's not your home. It's not your world. It's only in Christ that we are no longer aliens and no longer strangers, as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. Right, but we are now fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. That's another thing to remember, right? We always refer to, well, he's blood. Right? We always refer to our family that way. Well, they're blood. Well, guess what? You're blood. Right? You're, we're all now blood, but not because of our blood, because of the blood of Christ. And this is our family now. And we are now, you know, fellow citizens with all of us together, with the saints and the members of the household of God. It's only through Christ that we are no longer aliens and strangers. And so when we live this life ourselves, when we're out there going to the day-by-day day that we do in our works and our jobs and our family lives or, or you know, any of that, whatever you do, you know, the example that we should be setting as strangers, as aliens, as servants, as it is, well, we await Christ right, to, to catch us on up. 
It's very similar. The example that we should be setting is very similar to what we are going to see Jacob doing here, dealing with his father-in-law and his uncle, his same guy, right? Laban. There's much that we can learn from how Jacob conducted himself during his time that he spent with Laban that we can apply to our lives and our jobs and our families. So Jacob comes to his uncle Laban and he says, hey, it's Send me home. It's time for me to leave. Give me my wives. Give me my children. It's time for me to go. Right? I've fulfilled my service. I've done my work, right? He served seven years for Rachel, and then Laban tricked him, and he married Leah first, so then he married Rachel, and then served another seven years. Right? And during that time, those last seven years, right, all these children sprang up, and he has all these children he's taken care of now. And everything that he's basically done during this time serving Laban has been for Laban's benefit for the most part. So he comes up to Laban and he says, hey, it's time to me to go. Right? And Laban's response is very interesting. And it gives you a little picture. It all depends on how you define this word in the Hebrew. Because it can mean a couple different things. But Laban's response is very interesting, and it gives you a picture of this branch of the family tree. Remember, this is the branch that Rebecca came from. Of course, this is the branch that Rachel and Leah come from. This is the family, right, from Abraham's brother, basically, that, that Abraham left himself. Remember, God called him out in Genesis 12, chapter 1, said, the Lord told Abram, he said, go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house, you know, to the land that I will show you. This is the, the, the kindred that, that God called Abraham out of, okay? So this gives you a picture of this branch of the family tree, and we, and we kind of see here possibly what might have been a contributing factor to why God called Abraham out. Like, there's many reasons. And one of the reasons may have been because this family was just worshiping pagan gods. And God pulled, took Abraham out of that environment. Right. So we see here that Laban tells him, um, he says, you know, in verse 27, he says, I have found favor. If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination, I have divined that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And that word for uh, divination or divined, in the Hebrew it means enchantment or enchanted. So what it could mean is that Laban has possibly become this sort of pagan mystic now, right? He's you know, has these occultic practices and worshiping these pagan gods, and he has divined from that that the Lord is blessing him because of Jacob. Well, he wasn't wrong, right? He, he was exactly correct. That's the, exactly what the Lord was doing. How he got there to that, you know, uh, understanding has to do, you know, it's a strange, you know, divination. I've learned by divination. But also in the Hebrew word, it can just mean he had just learned by experience. So we can, it doesn't sound as exciting as divination, but, you know, it's, it's kind of more exciting to think, oh, he was like some sort of pagan mystic. And this is who Jacob was serving, was this guy who was just, well, he was, he was, we know he was serving pagan gods because Rachel steals them later when they leave, when she leaves, Right? But he says, I have divined, I have learned that the Lord is blessing me because of you. And this is true because this was a promise given to Abraham and to his descendants, right? That the offspring of all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So, so yes, the Lord was blessing Laban because of Jacob. He, he was absolutely right. And what that should have done is that should have led Laban to the Lord. 
Laban should have said, holy cow, right? Look at me. I'm this conniving deceiver. I've deceived my whole family. I've deceived my daughters. I'm not an honest person. And the Lord is blessing me. Why me? What have I done to deserve the Lord's? He's blessing me because of Jacob. This should have led him to thank the Lord. This should have like brought him to his knees in front of God. Been like, Lord, I don't deserve this. But it didn't because Laban's heart so hardened really towards the Lord. And he's such a greedy person that all he can really think of is, well, the Lord's been blessing me because of Jacob and I want more of that blessing. Right? Not because of my love for the Lord, because it's been making me wealthy. I want more of that. I want to be blessed more, Jacob. Right? It was all about what benefited him personally. So Laban says, hey, all right, well, if you want to go, name your wages, which is very similar to what he told Jacob back in Genesis 29, right? What shall your wages be? It's, it's Laban looking for another opportunity to deceive Jacob somehow, right? To take advantage of Jacob somehow. And Jacob replies to Laban and he affirms what Laban already knows. He says, you know, you had very little livestock when I arrived. And now you, ha- you're ab- you have an abundance. And this is all because of how the Lord's been blessing you. Everywhere I am. Right? You know, and, and, you know, but I need to provide for my own household now. And it's time for me to go. And Laban's like, okay, well, what can I give you? And Jacob's like, don't give me anything. Which is a strange response. I mean, he could have said so much. Okay, this is exactly what I want. And foop pop the list out, right? I want two of these and five of these and ten of these and give me some of this and I'll take that. And it's t- you know, He could have had this whole list for, for Laban, but he says, no, don't give me anything. And what he's saying is, uh, just agree to my terms here and I will work for it. Can you give me some water, please? <coughs> he says, I will work for it. I, so Jacob starts negotiating with Laban and he offers him a deal that is seemingly stacked in Laban's favor. There's no way Laban's going to turn this deal down. (coughs) So this is his proposal. And let's break this down for you. What Jacob says is, he says, if you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and sheep, flock and keep it. So this is what he wants him to do for him. He says, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. That's all he wants. He wants the spotted and speckled and striped sheep and black lambs and, he goes, and spotted and speckled goats. He goes, that's what I want. Let me go through your flock and remove it. You know, remove these spotted and speckled sheep and goats and black lambs. And that'll be my wages. And then what I will do is I'll keep your flock. I'll continue to work for you. He ends up working for him for another six years. He says, I'll continue to work for you. And basically any spotted and speckled sheep or goat that's born during that time, I will keep. And everything else you get. And at the end of my time, when you come to look basically at what I have, if anything was within my flock that is not spotted or speckled or striped or black lamb or whatever, then you can consider it stolen, right? And Laban, of course, is like, hey, because probably more than likely spotted and speckled and striped and whatever these different things are for the sheep and goats weren't very common to begin with, okay? So he's like, well, you know, that's like the minority of, of what my flock is. And so he's not going to get very much from me. 
And if he makes some sort of an accident, he forgets to sort them correctly, and I go over and check his stuff, and there's, and there's you know, a white sheep in there that's supposed to be mine. Well, I can consider it stolen, and I can take his stuff, and this is going to be great because this is working out in my advantage. I'm going to get wealthier and wealthier, and Jacob's not going to get very much at all, and this is great, and he'll still continue to work for me, and therefore, I will still continue to be blessed. Right? This is what Laban is thinking. And then Laban does something else. Right? He separates the flock before it starts. He takes all the spotted and speckled and goats and sheep and he separates them from the rest and he takes all the, you know, all the black lambs and he separates them out. And he doesn't just take them like three miles away or five miles. He takes them three days away from Jacob. So they're nowhere near the flock. And he gives Jacob all the, all the, all the solid color that they're left. And he says, here's my flock, tend to it. And right then, it seems like everything is in favor of Laban at this point. There's no way that this is going to work like you know, Jacob was thinking. There's no way any of this is going to come about. Laban's getting all the benefits here. So Jacob will take care of this large flock for Laban, but it's all solid covered animals, right? And he's, going, and he's supposed to be taking the offspring, which is supposed to be speckled and spotted, you know, assuming that they have any at all which is the rub. Because if no speckled or spotted or striped or black lambs or whatever are born, then Jacob gets no wages. He's basically working for Laban for free. That's the whole thing. So Laban, of course, is like, well, let it be as you have said it. I love this deal. Where do I sign? So he signs it. And uh, I mean, the odds are in his favor. He's going to win the lotto. So, you know, <clears throat> Jacob goes ahead and starts pastoring the rest of the flock. So with the odds stacked against him, what is it that Jacob does? Well, first he does something really odd. It says in verse 37 that Jacob takes fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. And just so you know, uh, different de- uh, translations say different things as far as the trees are concerned. So you have poplar and possibly hazel or chestnut, as some translations say for plain. Um, and he strips the bark off in, in little sections of these sticks from the trees. So you have these white stripes, basically it's showing the white of the stick from stripping the bark off. And he places the sticks in the troughs. He doesn't place them in the troughs for the animals to eat. Understand that they're not eating the sticks. He places them in the troughs so that when they come up to drink from the water, right, they see them. So they're not eating them outright. Now, that being said, um, chemicals, okay? Let's just deal with chemicals real quick. Chemicals from the bark and chemicals from the sticks can get into the water. All right, so when when they're coming up and they're drinking of the water, there's possibly these chemicals that could have gotten into the water that they're drinking. And uh, these chemicals could have affected the sheep and the goats in a certain way that would have greatly benefited uh, Jacob. But the sticks, they, the sticks did one thing. The purpose of the sticks, they had one reason. And that was that the sticks were some sort of an aphrodisiac. Okay? We say this because there are chemicals from these trees that are still used. They were, they were used then and they're still used today for this, for this type of thing. Okay? As an aphrodisiac. They're used in ancient times and modern times as well. As a fertility drug, possibly. So, and so he would place the sticks in the troughs so 
that when the sheep came to drink, and he says right here in verse 38 that when they came to drink, they mated, they bred when they came to drink. So they would come to drink, and they naturally, at that time anyway, they already mated or bred when they came to drink. So he put these sticks there, and the whole purpose of these sticks, the sight of the sticks or the chemicals of the sticks or whatever it was, it stimulated the sheep, and mating season was in full, you're right, it was, it was on, basically. So when you look at the Hebrew word here for bread, which means also to mate, you also, means, you also see that it means hot or heat, as in they were in heat, right? So when it's talking about it in verse 38, and he's saying that uh, he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they were in the heat when they came to drink, they, they became in heat when they came to drink the water. So Jacob's using that to his advantage, right? And he's using that for a specific reason, right? And I know that today when you were coming here, you weren't thinking that we were going to be talking about the mating rituals of sheep, but you never know exactly what we're going to talk about on Sunday, on Sunday morning. But Jacob is understanding that, understand this. He's using it to his advantage because what he is, wants to do is speed up the whole reproduction process in an attempt to have as many offspring as possible in the shortest amount of time as possible. So he's like, they're already naturally, for the most part, mate when they come to drink. I'm just going to give them a little fertility drug or a little aphrodisiac to help them along with it while they're there, so they'll just want to do it more, so we'll just up the process a little, right? Which is amazing because Jacob knew what he was doing. Right? But I want you to understand something here, which is Jacob is not a magician. Okay? He's not a magician. A lot of people say, well, Jacob's just this is, you know, this is you know just some sort of a superstitious, ancient time superstition. I can't believe Jacob would be doing something like this, some you know, doing some he's not. He's not pulling the con game on Laban. He just happens to know how to shepherd and how to help the sheep you know, reproduce and mate and stuff like that. He's not a magician. And, and I, what I mean by that, and I really want to be clear on this, right? the sticks would not have caused the sheep or the goats to have speckled or spotted offspring. The, ships, the sticks in themselves could not have caused that in any way, shape, or form. I mean, if Jacob had some knowledge of an ancient breeding practice where he could, by design, produce offspring to the exact specifications that he needed. Spotted or speckled or paisley or plaid or whatever it was, right? I mean, he would not have needed to work to get his own flock or to support his family. He could have just written a book. He could have just produced some instructional YouTube videos. He could have made a living doing TED Talks. He, he could have gone from farm to farm, you know, just what's the series that we watch on PBS? Uh, Creatures great and small. He could have been like all creatures great and small guy, whatever that doctor's name is, right? The vet guy. He could have made a living just doing, if he knew how to do this, if he knew some secret recipe where he could just take sticks and peel them off and he knew the exact way to put them and knew what sticks to use and he could, by design, have his sheep or his goats have striped or spotted or speckled. Just on demand like that, boy, he would be the farmer of the century. Everyone would be coming to Jacob's. He could be selling his secrets. He could re retire, right? I mean, if Jacob had it figured out that way, 
Out of all the, you know, the potential characteristics that are theoretically available you know, in the DNA molecular structure, if he understood this better than the scientists do today even, then man, he would have been set. I mean, I mean, scientists today still struggle to understand exactly the transmission of hereditary factors. Now, there's multitudes of different characteristics which appear in different individual animals of the same species. They don't have it all figured out. They don't know exactly why certain hereditary features get passed on and some don't. But if Jacob had this all figured out, man, he'd be set. But I'm telling you that Jacob's not a magician. Jacob didn't have all that figured out. He didn't. Right? He would have been a genius, but he wasn't that much of a genius, I don't think. Right? But having said that, what we do know is by putting those sticks in the feeding trough when they came to drink water and increasing their reproduction and mating you know, between the sheep and the goats and and also being able to tell, because he, he was an experienced shepherd in this sense, he could tell the stronger from the weaker, right? The stronger from the more feeble. And he only put the sticks in front of the stronger so that only the stronger re were reproducing, right? The spotted and the speckled and the striped. With that, it, you know, regardless of that, he increased his flock. And they were giving birth to spotted and speckled and striped offspring. And he, and he wasn't, I mean, he was not, they weren't just that. It wasn't like Laban was getting nothing. Laban was still getting stuff. He was still benefiting Laban as well. And he was separating them and putting them into two different flocks and keeping them separated. But as it turns out, <clears throat> the flocks increased greatly so much more that we find out in the next chapter that Laban does not regard Jacob with favor anymore, which means he wasn't friendly towards Jacob anymore because Jacob's flock was being, becoming more abundant and greater than Laban's. And even tells us that Jacob you know, had large flocks and female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. That means he had to get more people to help with his flocks. So his flocks were increasing even more greatly. <clears throat> so one has to ask then, what did Jacob do? I mean, was there anything Jacob could have done to make this happen? I mean, <clears throat> anything within his own power. I mean, some say that this was a, a combination of, you know, selective breeding and dominant traits and recessive traits and prenatal influence. And I mean, there's a multitude of sites and papers written on this topic discussing such things as gene expression, heterozygotes, co-dominance, X-linked genes, gene dosage, epigenetics. Right, which is the ability to uh, switch genes on and off across generations. I mean, I mean, if you go and just read, the, I mean, you'll be baffled just as much leaving as you will coming into the thing. But I mean, it could have been all of this. It could have been none of this. It could have been part of this. Maybe he knew some of these things. Maybe he didn't know any of these things. We really don't know. I will tell you what we do know. We do know that Jacob knew more about animal husbandry than probably you and I do. And without a doubt, he knew more than Laban did. I'll give him that, but did he know all that science? Did he know all these things that scientists today you know, are trying to use to figure out exactly how? I mean, was it humanly possible for Jacob to have his sheep and goats produce offspring speckled, spotted, and striped, as it were, almost on demand? Was it humanly possible for him to do that? 
And the answer is no. Right? The short answer is no. And in case you were thinking otherwise, let's just leave it there. It's just no. Right? Regardless of all his knowledge and all the experience of shepherding, Jacob really couldn't have done anything in his own power to win this battle, as it were. The best case scenario was maybe he got a third, or maybe he got a quarter of the sheep to come out with speckled or spotted or stripes. Right? It was probably less than that on his own power. The only thing Jacob could do was do the best job he could, do his work unto the Lord, and have faith. Because what happened was a miracle. Right? Jacob did the best he could to the best of his ability with the best of his knowledge, and he left the rest up to God. And we know this because it tells us, just not in this chapter. It tells us in the next chapter. It tells us in chapter 31. Right? Matter of fact, it was much more of a miracle than we realize. So when we go into chapter 31, and let me just read it to you, I'm going to start in verse 4, and we'll go over this again when we go through chapter 31 to a certain degree, but starting in verse 4, it says, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. That's a good thing for Jacob to recognize. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. It was a miracle. It was the miraculous intervention of God. That's what it was. It was nothing else. I mean, Jacob could only do so much on his own. The rest of it was up to God. All he could really do was trust God. Jacob had faith that God would provide. He testifies that the God of my father has been with me. Now, I don't know exactly when Jacob came to this realization as far as with the sheep and the goats are concerned, right? Came to the realization that, that God had intervened. But I'm, I'm, my guess is it was pretty early on. My guess was it was probably the first time that Laban came to change the terms. Laban probably saw that what Jacob was doing, and he said, hey, it's working out far better for Jacob than I thought it was going to. I'm going to go change the, the terms of the deal, right? So he goes to Jacob and he says, hey, um, no more speckled and striped and spotted. Uh, from now on, it's only going to be the spotted ones. He probably even went through the flock and started counting. Oh, he's had two spotted, but he's had 15 speckled. And, you know, so, I'll, okay, so spotted. So we go to Jacob, okay, uh, only the spotted from now on. Now, it doesn't say Jacob argued back or Jacob complained or anything like that. It doesn't, we don't get any account of that. It just says, well, then the, 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 they started bearing spotted. They started giving birth to spotted. So Laban probably said, oh, wait a minute. 
right? Comes back to Jacob. Hey, uh, now I'm going to change your wages. It's only going to be striped. Okay. And they all started giving birth to striped. And, and probably Laban's like, what's going on here? But I'm sure it didn't take too long for Jacob to realize, I'm not doing this. God is looking out for me. Because there's nothing that he could have done to change things like that that fast. Right? Polka dots. I only accept polka dots. Boom, polka dots. Right? When are you going to understand, Laban, that this isn't going to work for you? Right? It says that Laban changed his wages 10 times. 10 times. 10 times he came back to Jacob in the six-year period and tried to change the deal on him, and not one ever worked out for Laban. You think Laban would have given up after a couple, but he didn't. He kept trying. He's so stubborn, right? Right? Zigzags. Okay, zigzags. Laban couldn't catch a break, poor guy. Right? And And Jacob puts it right out there. He says, God took away his livestock and gave it to me. Jacob knows exactly what's going on. This was the hand of God at work. And God does miraculous things. I mean, Jacob could have been the greatest shepherd in all the land. Yet he didn't have the ability to perform miracles like that. He didn't have the ability to have his sheep just produce whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. This week we're going to only give birth to black sheep. Next week we have scheduled in white sheep and the sheep week after that. He didn't have that ability. He couldn't have done that. It wasn't possible for Jacob to have success like this, but God, right? The same God who can multiply, you know, a few fish and loaves to feed 5,000 people is the same God who can have sheep and goats give birth to whatever he wants, however he wants, whatever color, whatever design, right? The God of his fathers had intervened in the miraculous, in a mysterious way, just as he had promised Jacob he would. As he told him back in chapter 28, when he meets Jacob in Bethel, he says, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever I go, wherever you go. Don't worry, Jacob, I'm going to protect you and look out for you wherever you go. I'm with you. He doesn't say, I'm with you right here. I'm going to be, I am with you wherever you go. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. And Jacob took that with him. Remember, it said Jacob, when he left Bethel, he was no longer dragging his feet. He was picking up his feet, right? He was, he was encouraged and lifted up when he left Bethel as compared to when he came in because he knew that God was with him. And now here's God showing him how much he is with him by this miraculous encounter with God. God works miraculously. God does miracles. From creation until today, he hasn't stopped. He's not going to stop. Right? Your salvation is a miracle. You were dead, now you're alive. That's a miracle. Right? Through Christ Jesus, you were saved by faith through grace, not saved by your own works, which means you could have done nothing to save yourself, just like Jacob could have done nothing to have his sheep give birth to these th- to different you know, stripes and speckled and spots. He, he couldn't have done that on his own. We, can't, we, we could do nothing to save ourselves. Jesus did everything. Your salvation is a miracle. You were dead, and you're now alive. The world, the, the world as it perishes, it calls it foolishness. That's what the Bible tells us. But for those who believe, right, it's the power of God. Right? The power of God for salvation. But there's something else in here that we tend to look over 
when we teach through this because we get focused on the sheeps and the speckles and the spots and the stripes. And we, and we tend to look, overlook sometimes the character of Jacob and his response to Laban and how he, you know, behaved himself in a sense uh, in this situation. So before we finish here, I just want to point out really quickly some of the principles that I think they're worthy of us to pay attention to that we find in this story that they're often overlooked. Because what I see in this story, to me, is, is really simple. It's a picture, an analogy in, of sorts, of us in the world. And we are to be doing our job unto the Lord. Not unto man, right? Unto the Lord. And we will be in situations where we may have to work for many, 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 many years under someone who's just taken advantage of us. Who loves the fact that we're dedicated and earnest and hardworking. They love that fact because they benefit from it and they want to continue to benefit from it. But they're not really concerned about you, per se. Well, we're not doing our work for them. We're doing our work for God. And we see this picture here with Jacob. Jacob served 14 years, and then he served another six years, all for his father-in-law, his uncle, who was really doing nothing but just trying to take advantage of Jacob so that he could, you know, benefit from him. He could become wealthier of Jacob because he saw what a great worker that Jacob was. He didn't want Jacob to go, but he didn't, but that was only because, right, he was gaining stuff from him. It doesn't because he loved Jacob. Oh, I love my son-in-law so much. Please don't leave. I'm going to build you a house and stay with us forever. He didn't have any concern about Jacob that way. He just wanted Jacob there because he was making money. He was becoming wealthy. We all have jobs we do. We all work for different people. We all, you know, some of us have jobs to do. Some of you guys are lazy and retired, but, you know, some some of us have jobs we do. I, I work, you know, I'm bivocational. I work more than one job, and I've worked in the, you know, the, the photographic retail industry now for way too long. Okay. I started in 1988, and when I was 19, I'm 54 now, so somebody do the math, because I, that's beyond me. And, you know, I can't say that I always worked unto the Lord, but, but I can say that for the last, I don't know how many years now, I've been back full-time uh, since 2008, I think, uh, since 2007, 2008. And, uh, and, you know, and, I, and I do my work unto the Lord. And my attitude is, I'm going to do whatever I can do to benefit the store. I'm not worried about myself, because the Lord takes care of me. The Lord takes care of me. So because I've always had that attitude of, you know, being able to just do the best I can for the place that I'm working for, they see that. And so, like, during the, you know, pandemic, when everyone else got sent home and had to go on, you know, assistance and stuff during the, the time that the store was shut down, per se, I got to go into work every day and work. You know, I was one of the four people or five people that were still, of all our employees, that got to stay at the job, right? Because the Lord's looking out for me. And they know that I work to benefit the store. And I think that's some of the principles that we see here in Jacob. Jacob wasn't interested in becoming wealthy. 
It wasn't his goal. Wealth was not his goal. Yes, he wanted to take care of his family, and yes, he wanted to provide for his family, but wealth was not his goal. Right? He wanted wages, yes, but wealth was not a goal. He wanted to care for his family. But if he had really wanted wealth, if he had really wanted material wealth, if he was really interested in that per se, then when, when Laban said, what shall your wages be? Or tell me what I can give you. Jacob could have said a whole lot more. I mean, if he just wanted to be wealthy, Jacob could have demanded a lot from Laban because he knew and Laban knew that Laban was really nothing without Jacob. Because even Laban said it. I've been blessed because of you. And Jacob said, yes, when I came here, you're, you had nothing. Your flock was feeble. And now your flock is abundant. And it's because the Lord has blessed you because of me. So Jacob could have said, so here are my demands. Right? But he didn't say that. He said, I don't want you to give me anything. I want to work for it. And if you'll agree to this, then we're good. Right? It reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, which says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And another way to look at it is this, as Jesus says in Luke, Luke chapter 16. He says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest is also in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, what's that? That's like working for someone else. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, in other words, your job, who will give you that which is your own? I think Jacob understood the principle behind this. So what did Jacob do? He worked hard. He dedicated himself to Laban's success for 14 years. He put the welfare of Laban really above his own. And he did his work unto the Lord. And when it came time for him to get his wages, the Lord blessed him. Because Jacob couldn't have done that on his own. But he had faith. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The Lord will bless you. The Lord protects you. The Lord provides for you. And there's another thing here, though, that you should also be aware of. It's that the world, for the most part, I mean, we're not to the point yet where people are just trying to shoot you down because you're a Christian. It's you know, not quite to that point yet here in the United States. But when you work for someone or you work unto the Lord and people see what you do and they're blessed by what you do and they're increasing from it, you know, their wealth is increasing from it, they love you. Absolutely. But the moment they see you increasing from your work and it's not benefiting them anymore, they're not going to love you anymore. Just like Laban didn't love Jacob. The world only has so much patience, if I can put it that way, for those who follow Jesus. 
We just have to continue to do our work unto the Lord because we can't rely on man. We can't trust him. They're not looking out for your best interests. I'm not saying there aren't Christian businesses and there aren't people who in their businesses are following the Lord and treat their employees as such. I'm just saying in general, in general, the world's going to look to take advantage of you and to use you for their own desires. They're going to try to deceive you and get you mired in deception so that they can benefit from it. And they're going to see the hard worker you are and what you do and how you put into it. And they're going to love it because it's benefiting them. But the moment it quits benefiting them, they don't love you anymore. But they don't have to because you didn't do your work for them. You're doing your work for the Lord. And the Lord will always be with you. And he'll always have you wherever you go. So that's what we need to do is just trust God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the strength of your word. And I thank you for the promises that come with it and the encouragement that comes with it to know that you are looking out for us, that you are with us in the midst of everything that we go through. So I pray, Lord, that we continue to work our jobs and live our lives and raise our families and, and everything that we do just in the day in and the day out, Lord, that we continue to do these things unto you. That we continue, Lord, to just put our trust in you and to do our work unto you and to love others as you love us. And I pray, Lord, that that can be an example. That will draw people to Christ, that we can point them to Jesus so that they can see what the hope of our salvation is and what gives us our strength and our encouragement to be able to do these things. And let us not be swayed and deceived by the world, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you're looking out for us and that you care for us and you bless us and you provide for us. We thank you for your great love. And we pray, Lord, that we can continue to share it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.